0: In this episode of Great Practices, I'm talking with Rob Milstead, a well-versed IT leader about how much time you should spend preparing for meetings with executives, a framework that will make every meeting effective, as well as how a small shift in attitude will move your PMO from a group of task administrators to a group of value deliverers. Plus, see how close Rob gets to an interpretive dance before we realize that this was an audio podcast. So let's get right into this episode of Great Practices. It's hard to say when something is a best practice, but it's much easier to know when something is a great practice. And that's what this podcast is all about. Interviews with PMO and project management leaders who through years of trial and error have discovered their own great practices and are now sharing their insights with you. Now, sit back and enjoy the conversation as Chris Kopp uncovers another great practice in this episode. Well, we'd like to welcome you to this month's episode of Great Practices. Do you ever feel like nobody is listening to you? You know, as a project manager, you put great plans and reports and updates and charts and presentations together. And the very next day, someone asks you, hey, what's going on with this project? Now, that's devastating. Some project managers will resort to sending read receipts in an email. By the way, that's a terrible idea. Others will resort to uh, curling up under their desk and whimpering in disbelief that all of this work just goes unappreciated and non-communicated. Well, it's nothing new because here's the deal. There's an expression that's something along the lines of this, that you can tell 10 people in a room something seven times and two people will say that they heard it once. And that's just the nature of the beast. Everybody's busy, everybody's running all over the place, and these messages get missed when it comes to communication. But the challenge is, is that communication is a key to what a PMO and project managers do. And it's also very challenging, especially when this communication is between project managers and executives in a company. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, today on this episode of Great Practices. And we are going to be talking with Rob Milstead, who can help us understand how we as project managers can communicate more effectively with executives in our company. So, Rob, we'd like to welcome you to uh, Great Practices, and we're looking forward to this conversation. Thanks, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Rob, we're going to start things off with. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? A little bit about your background.
1: Yeah, happy to. I. uh... I have a unique background. Uh, my undergrad degree is actually in music and found my way into the world of technology. Uh, and why is that interesting? I think it's because I learned from the very beginning as a musician that I had to interpret. I was interpreting the composer's works and learning how to express it artistically. And that unique way of thinking about things has actually really served me well in my professional career. I started out in marketing, so I was learning how to communicate to customers. I then became a project manager in the world of consulting and spent about 20 plus years in the professional services world, Uh, varied roles, but always very much client facing. So learning how to take messages, good and bad, and communicating them to clients was really important. Uh, And then I was actually a chief digital officer where I really had to take executives through the transformation of how to become a digital enterprise and then the role that I'm currently in, I'm Senior Vice President at a company called Transportation Insight and I am responsible for the Digital Products Business Unit which again is a little bit of a new expression in building out a products strategy for what was a services company in the transportation world and they are now learning new ways to behave differently about commercial products and technology. So I've played an interesting mix of both business and technology roles, and learning how to convince people of new ways to think about things and dealing with tough challenges, et cetera, has definitely been something I've had to deal with quite extensively.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's quite a background. Um, It's a shame this is a... um, audio podcast, because I know that you also do some really good interpretive dances as well. So uh, you know, maybe that's next time we get you on video doing that. That'd be great. Yeah.
1: I, I, I have a torn meniscus now though. So what I would probably do is maybe haiku or something like that. <laughs> we'll see if we have time for that.
0: All right, Fair enough. So Rob, the first question that we typically ask our guests is what is your definition of a PMO? Because a PMO, uh, it just varies from company to company. So what what's your definition of what a PMO does? Yeah, I think
1: that's a great question. And I've been uh, interested to hear how other people have answered that as well. Yeah, I think it's very true. Different things, even inside of one company, sometimes you have an IT-oriented PMO versus a business PMO. And quite simply, I see it as running kind of the gamut between tactical all the way to highly strategic. So tactically, minimally, it's organizing standards, tools, processes. Uh, across functions and the delivery of an outcome. Often that's very much project oriented. Sometimes it becomes more strategic and it involves programs. Programs then starts to drift towards strategy and resource prioritization, et cetera. But ultimately the way I think about a PMO is I want an organization that wants to be accountable for helping drive an outcome. Um, And that often means doing a lot more than just status reporting and tracking, but really keeping the uh, ever watching eye on issues, risks, understanding how to communicate properly internally as well as externally on all the people involved in delivering a successful outcome.
0: Yeah. You know, and I mean, that lines up, you know, you're talking about what other guests have said. And that is the shift. It is going more toward that accountability and going more toward that delivering business value and not just managing projects for the sake of managing projects. You know, it's like, okay, great. It got done on time, on scope, within budget, but what did it do for the business? So, you know, it's it's interesting to see how everybody's everybody is shifting toward that way uh, with what a PMO does. Now, something that we talked about at the very beginning that a PMO and project managers have to be very good at is communication and communication, particularly with executives in a company. Um, And again, I'm going to ask you for another definition here, but how would you define an executive and what is their role in a company? What do they do? Yeah,
1: it's an interesting question that I actually pondered a good bit on how to answer. And ultimately, what I would say I think is helpful for this conversation is anyone that is not directly responsible for the execution of work is a stakeholder slash executive of some level, meaning they are depending on other people to get work done. They are not in every single moment of the execution of a project, and therefore they are a stakeholder that needs to be communicated to. So, yes, there are some C-level executives. They need different strategies to communicate to them. But anybody that's not directly involved in the daily delivery of the work is a stakeholder in my mind of how we have to think about communicating upwards to the executives involved.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's good. So it's not really just one particular group of people. It could vary, right? From project or program or whatever that's being uh, being undertaken there. Um, what, (laughs) What are some of the disconnects or what are some of the challenges that you've seen when it comes to project managers and let's go up the, let's go up the food chain am use that word loosely, but let's go up the, the hierarchy when it comes to communicating up, what are some of the challenges that you're seeing between, between project managers and executives at that level? I guess maybe the biggest
1: observation, it could be a good jumping off point for some more discussion is the fact that if you look at an executive's calendar, it is often multiple 30 minute meetings. And so I'm sure we've all had to deal with the problem of context switching, which is it takes you some mental capacity to stop thinking about what you were just doing and kind of dump your cash so that you can focus on the discussion that you're in now. And if you are uh, in meeting after meeting, you really need to be focused as a project manager in helping an executive context switch And so a great example in my mind is the old adage of tell them what you're gonna tell them and then tell them and then remind them what you told them. Um, There are some other things that we can talk about as a way to really put some structure behind that. But I think providing context, where have we been with a project or an initiative? What are the key decisions that we need to make? It's it's a little bit like handholding, but if you can help an executive be in the moment, where you need them to focus for a set time period, I think you're going to increase your chances of success dramatically. So again, I think it's just kind of be prepared for what the world is like for an executive and, and put yourself in their shoes. What information would you need if you were in 20, 30 minute meetings all day? It's, it's a, a lot of refresh that we have to do with them.
0: That, that is, that is very insightful because you're exactly right. It's like, you know, as project managers, this is 100% of what we're working on. And that's, that's it. So it's like everything revolves around whatever that project or those two or three or four projects are. But you're right. I mean, these executives, they're all over the place, right? Sales, operations, finance, whatever it is. And this is just, you know, one of their day instead of, you know, the, the 90 or 95%. So that's, you know, that's really good insight as far as the different context that goes there. Um, and so, some of the things that you said that would help with that is, um, you know, you basically said, tell them where you've been, tell them the decisions that need to be made, kind of hold their hand through the conversation a little bit. Let's talk a little bit more through through that as far as what that process would look like. How would you how would you structure it to be effective as a project manager communicating with an executive?
1: I, I think um, it's a really important exercise to spend more time preparing for a communication than the actual meeting or the communication itself. That includes even email communication in my mind. So really careful preparation on what is the most important information. And having been a project manager myself, I I would love for people to see all the work that I have done. But I think what I see the number one uh, sort of, you know, non-grade practice is way too many slides in a meeting. Um, If you look at the attention span, and I don't mean this in a demeaning way, but back to the context switching of what we said, you get beyond four or five slides in a 30-minute meeting, and you've probably lost the executive. They either want to immediately jump to the action, or they're reading ahead if you hand out material in advance. So, I think what I would say is if you have a lot of material and it's truly important to prepare, that's exactly why you would want to distribute that material well in advance, let people go through their own reading ahead of time. And some meetings need to be status oriented where you're having a lot of discussion around detailed topics. So, understanding what meeting am I having? Is this really a status meeting? And therefore, it may be appropriate to have a lot of slides, or is this really a key decisions or action uh, discussion type of meeting. Those are the ones where I really feel like it's very powerful to have as few slides as possible. And really kind of, like I said at the beginning, hold their hand on the objectives of why you're in the meeting and the specific way that you're gonna facilitate to an outcome uh, to, to get their decision. If you, tr- if you try to mix the models where you have a lot of slides and you have to drive decisions, that's where I've seen just you know time after time where things kind of fall apart. Some executives pretend they are in the moments and participating. You can tell their minds are wandering. Other executives get frustrated. Um, I'm sure we've all had all of those types of experiences. So this is, you know, this in my mind is how can you be more proactive in helping manage an outcome of a meeting that, that you are responsible for as a project manager?
0: Great advice. And, you, you know, and then you nailed it at the beginning. It's like, you know, um, I put all of this work I want people to see all of this work I've done, you know, and all of this research and all of this information that has been gathered, and I want to share this so that we can show that, you know, that we've done our due diligence and everything. But at that level, it, it, it's kind of a, it's kind of a given conclusion already that that's been done, right? So the bottom line is netted out. And I, I think what is it, Mark Mark Twain said? I would have written you a shorter letter if I had more time.
1: That's exactly right. That's funny. Um, I, I think it's important uh, to just comment on what you just said there. Your leaders believe in you. And so as a project manager, I know it feels good to show the work that you've done and have some you know, feedback along the way. But you know, a C-level or a VP level believes that you are good at your job. You don't have to fire hose them with proof that you're good at your job, right? They care about the outcome, which is why they've hired you to do a job. Showing them all the artifacts that you create to get to that outcome, it's just overkill. Your, your supervisor, your direct manager may want to see that work to truly understand the process of how you produce an outcome. But in general, communicating to you know two or three levels above you, that's, that's just not the right information for what they typically want as, a, as an outcome for a meeting.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's not third grade. We don't need to show our work, do we, you know, they, it's that's kind right. of a, it's kind of a given because if you're presenting at that level, it's, it's a given that you've already, you know, done these things and that the research has been done behind the scenes. So that's real good, um, real good information. Now you did mention something a little bit ago, and I'd like to get your take on this, um, so you, you go into the, you go into the meeting and you've got your, you've got your, your flow laid out and you've got your four or five slides and you, you, you start out and you've got that, that, that logical development. And then somebody jumps to, well, what about this? And that's covered on slide five, or they ask another question here before you even get two or three words out of your mouth. How, how do you deal with that type of, what's the best way to deal with that type of, um, you know, uncertainty that will come up in a meeting like that?
1: Yeah, it's it's a great question. And uh, in a former life, I actually used to teach facilitation skills, and whether that was large workshops or individual meetings, uh, but but it was it was basically how do you deal with strong personalities that are trying to steer the meeting in a different outcome? Yeah. And yes, there are specific uh, capabilities or skills that you can have, especially when you're in a physical meeting where you can do things like change your position or stand in front of the group to facilitate. But now that we're in this kind of virtual world, I think you win the day by being really proactive. So as I said earlier, distribute your material in advance. I think if you lead in the meeting request and in the contents, what are the objectives of the meeting? It it sort of, uh, I don't know, puts in a little bit of a filter for if the executive really wants to railroad it, the discussion they're going to have to directly go against the objectives that you've set out for the meeting and if it's only a four or five slide presentation right it's pretty obvious for them to kind of see where their question would would come into the mix i i think what i would say is if you can proactively share that information of course when a, you're always going to have somebody that wants to kind of steer the conversation in a different way maintain supreme professionalism in that situation yep. and simply point back to the objectives and confirm with the group. Does does the group want to go this direction? You sort of turn it into a group decision rather than one strong-willed executive trying to take control of the meeting. You turn it into a discussion and then hopefully you can leverage consensus to determine. And this sounds way more controversial than it typically is. It's just typically what grade would you give yourself from a meeting? And sometimes... Strong-willed executives take over. And at the end of the day, you give yourself like a C plus on the meeting because you could have done a better job. Well, this in my mind is like, how can you try to do as much proactively to make sure that you're going to have an A plus meeting, no matter what personalities exist, you are in control of of the the flow of that
0: meeting. And yeah, and you, you, you are, you are exactly right. And you said the word, you know, respectfully, um, you know, get it back because here's the deal. You know these executives; they're going to take it where they're going to take it, and and that's that's their right. That's what you know. That's what they do, and that's perfectly fine. And you, as a project manager, have got to figure out how to you know how to navigate have it how to navigate through that through that respectfully. So um, yeah, that's a real good point that you got to be able to got to be able to figure that out. You know, and how to. I, I think I'd just add one more thing to that, which is yes, we
1: all have a first meeting with the executive, but pretty soon you're in your second, third, 10th meeting, you start to learn their personalities. And again, you should take that and digest that into your approach because if you know a certain executive behaves a certain way, well, why are they behaving that way? Yes, it's possible they're just a jerk, but in general, that probably means they're not getting what they want in the initial stages of the meeting. So you should be an investigative reporter and figure out what do I need to do differently to avoid that outcome, right? And so there's a a framework that I really, really find value out of, and it helps all of that preparation that I talked about and putting into your communications. Uh, And it's I call it POAD, which is Purpose, Objective, Approach, and Deliverable or Outcome. And so if you literally think through every interaction, what's the purpose of the meeting? You may state it explicitly or not, the purpose is the ultimate reason why you're having the meeting. And if you have to get a certain outcome or a certain decision, that, that's your purpose. And it should guide everything else from that.
0: Yeah.
1: Your objectives are just like we've all learned. What are smart objectives? What are these specific things you need to talk about or engage the group in a meeting to help you achieve that purpose? The approach is, how are we going to get there? Are we going to do a post-it note exercise? Are we going to review a RAID log? What are the mechanisms that we have to achieve those objectives? And then that outcome, as I said, you grade yourself at the end of the meeting. Did we achieve what we needed to achieve? And maybe it sounds overkill for a 30-minute meeting, but I would argue a 30-minute meeting is the most important time because you have their limited attention span you can't let the conversation wander around too much. You've got to be really crisp. And so something as simple as POAD, and people can come up with different you know, acronyms or phrases for how they want to think about it. I've just found that through my career is a really useful framework for how to organize my thinking to put into that, uh, that, that, that preparation for the discussion. And who's in the meeting? I know their personality types. I know the outcome I need to achieve now it's my job to kind of play Tetris with the approach and the contents to make sure that that outcome happens.
0: So for every meeting you're talking about, you, you will you look at purpose, objective, approach, and deliverable, like those big high stakes meetings basically, right? Yeah. I, I use
1: Evernote as my note tracking system, and yeah. you guys can harass me later if you like Notion or some other system. But I literally take notes like that to help me plan for the plan. Yep. Uh, and I have a POAD framework that even even in my one-on-ones uh, that I have with my team members, I am very prepared for the outcome that I need to have. And maybe sometimes I'm less formal with purpose and objectives, but certainly big strategic meetings that's the framework that I can use to rally the team around and actually preparing the material yeah. to checkpoint with a board of directors or a C-level team. Except that, that framework is, is sort of like muscles that you must use to make sure that you can execute crisply.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic. I love it. POAD, Purpose Objective Approach Deliverable. So that's good. And you're right. That is a lot to jam into a 30-minute meeting. But guess what? You're going to have to figure it out because that's, that's the environment in which, you know, project managers, managers operate now. And that's how quickly things go. So, um, so that's good. You brought up a point earlier and I liked it too, is like, you know, after your second and your third and your fifth and your 10th meeting, you're going to figure out how the executives like to communicate. And, and one of the things that I've learned over the years is I, I always put my, like kind of the, the, the the, the results or the insight or the recommendation at the end of the presentation, I built up to it, you know, but I've flipped that now. It's like, basically I'll come in and say, boom, this is what we recommend. And then here's why, you know, and just because it just removes that ambiguity out of that. Do you, do you have any preference or any, any idea on which way you would prefer or you think is better?
1: Um, I, I love it because I do feel like executives quite often nowadays, again, maybe back to the fact they're so busy, maybe the fact they, don't have time to engage in switching contexts, like just punch them in the face with the information they need to know. And so I use things like executive summaries, like literally what is the one pager for why you have a five page deck or a 10 page deck behind you. And here's the sort of supporting material, but what's, what's the one page summary. Um, I also, and I know people have different opinions about this, Whether or not I always do it in presentation or not, I always draft my presentations where the subject of the slides literally reads as a narrative for the entire presentation. So if I have five slides, what are the five sentences that I use as the titles in my slides that tell the story? That's a really good checkpoint against that POAD, is if you have an executive that literally just reads the summary, or just reads the subject or a title on a slide, could they understand what the meeting was about? And you may choose to execute differently back to the approach part of POAD, but that's a great way to get the team rallied around what's the storyline that we're trying to tell here. What's the most important takeaway or the narrative out of the meeting. Um, And that's, another big part of that is you never know who's going to get a presentation that wasn't in the meeting. And so the presentations that they have, you know, one or two word titles, again, back to that context, the context isn't there. And then people take their own liberties with what that slide really meant.
0: So
1: like it or not, I am overly descriptive in my uh, titles, of the slide just because I'm not sure who's going to get the deck, right? That that C-level person could hand it to another C-level person and get their thoughts on it because there may have been something mildly controversial. Well, again, you you sort of are protecting yourself by making sure that the business is making the right decision for the business or the customer yeah. by providing the right contents and context in, in the presentation.
0: So are you saying, when you say the titles, I mean, you're basically saying you if it was a five- five page presentation, you're saying if they just read the titles across the top of those five slides, that basically is a complete sentence with a complete idea that, that they'd be able to, to, to know what they're talking about. Is that what you're saying?
1: That's right. And, and I say complete sentence to be a little bit dramatic. Yeah. It, it's, you know, think, think seven or eight words versus one or two words. Yeah. What, what truly is the summary? If they don't read anything else on the slide, are they going to understand what the slide is about? Yeah. And it's a little bit of, you know, if you've seen strategy decks for management consulting companies, they do very, very similar things. And it's uh, sometimes I feel like they get paid on density of slides with how many (laughs) words are on there, but it really helps because you don't know if people are reading it ahead of time. You don't know if people are looking at it after the time. It's just a great way to sort of express the context of what the overall message is.
0: Um, I don't know the Latin expression, but there was a fellow that I worked with in a couple of companies ago and he used this Latin expression. I'll have to find it. But basically the premise of it was that this stands on its own, which he, he, he would always basically say, if this, you know, if this presentation it was dropped in a parking lot, could anybody pick it up and without any context, without any explanation, without anybody explaining it to you and being able to say, yeah, that makes, that makes sense. And I understand that. And it, and it does stand on its own. I love it. So uh, I'll have to find, I'll have to look up. Uh, I'll have to look it up after and see what the uh, what the Latin expression is. Um, I want to go back to taking enough time to prepare for a meeting. Right. So we've talked through purpose, objective, deliverable, uh, or approach and deliverable. How much time should should people spend when it comes to preparing for a level meeting, a very important meeting?
1: Um, I guess I'll. I'll uh boomerang a question back to you i think the it sort of depends on what type of meeting it is meaning if it's a regular reoccurring um, status or issues type of review meeting yeah. it may not require substantial prep time but if it is a strategic kickoff for a project or you have you know a, a red light that you need to work through a critical issue yeah no kidding. You probably should put in three to four times the amount of time of the meeting in preparation. And sometimes I like to work iteratively. So I do storyboarding. Sometimes I do that literally on paper. Sometimes I do that electronically. Sometimes I draft presentations just by writing those titles first. I don't even worry about the contents on the slide you then have to design the communication like is there a visual representation of this information that makes it easier to understand i've found that to be really true in a lot of my background doing digital customer experience work some of the visual artifacts that you use to describe customer journeys actually become really helpful for helping an executive understand a complex people process and technology challenge yeah. and and projects are very complicated so helping them uh, understand or helping them sort of see through the complexity with a path. Um, lots of times, visual uh, organization of information is really helpful. And so, if you just think through the time to design the visuals, you're you're going to get into the amount of prep time. So, n- no kidding. In my you know former life, I would spend I would start the process of designing a presentation sometimes weeks in advance, knowing that there was a critical milestone coming up. And our goal is always, you know, content complete 48 hours in advance. There's a little bit of spillover time so that you have 24 hours in advance to then distribute that material. So you can sort of work backwards with yourself or your team and say, how much time should I be chipping away at this uh, to actually make sure that I have a really crisp deck that is a great way to ensure we have a successful meeting? Um, so I'll give you an example. I had a meeting just uh, this week with uh, the board um, and I probably spent uh, about 10 hours of time in preparation for what ended up being a roughly a 30 minute discussion. Yep. Um, we had we had more time plans, but it ended up being compressed. So that's the other thing is like, how do you react? Sometimes you are a part of a three hour discussion and you were supposed to have 45 minutes and you end up with 15. Like so again, if you're prepared, you can summarize all that information because you've rehearsed in your mind, what are the key messages? And, you know, there's nothing like stress of I have 10 slides, but I only have 15 minutes. Well, you better be ready to deliver that key message in, in one or two slides instead of actually having to show all 10. Right. So that prep time is just really good for helping with flexibility, too, and how you actually
0: execute the message. I'm going to tell you a horror story, if you don't mind. Um, not not that you asked for me to tell you a horror story, um, but just talking about being prepared. So, so back in the day, a number of years ago, it was all into like the animation and all the, you know, the, the whiz bang stuff that you could do on PowerPoint all that type of deal. And we did, you know, some executive presentation and, uh, we had it all lined up. I'm a, i am I have no idea how much time I spent on that. Right. Um, and then we get into the boardroom And I don't know who did it, but somehow they had like the panic button or whatever that goes off and all the screens go up and all the lights go down the whole deal. And it takes literally like four hours to reset it for whatever reason that was. So now here goes all of my multimedia extravaganza of a presentation is just gone, you know, and this whole thing that I needed to do. Fortunately, you know, I had these uh, rudimentary printed out pieces of paper that I could at least, you know, spread around the desk there. But all of that time and all of that effort that went into that. Um, you know, it was it was just gone, and it does show the importance of you got to have a plan B because you don't know. It literally could be like you said you you expected to be longer in that conversation, and it was compressed. Hey, you got 15 minutes. Let's go, right? And how can you move through that quickly? So that's that's a good point that you bring up. That you got to be you got to be nimble there, right?
1: That sounds like an advanced PMO Institute training scenario or something. I
0: love it, <laughs> Kobayashi Maru. If uh, <laughs> For those that'll get that, right? Love it. <laughs> you can't win that one. <laughs> um, Rob, there's something that you've said, because you and I have worked together over the years, um, that you th- the objective of any of this communication with um, executives is to leave them with a certain feeling. What, what is that feeling that you want to leave them with? What is the purpose of that presentation?
1: Ultimately, I think it boils down to trust and confidence, meaning do they trust that you are accountable for the outcome and that you have control? And as I said before, that takes time. So in your first meeting, that may not be the goal that you have, the overarching goal or the implicit goal. But that's definitely what they want. They want to feel like this is not something I need to worry about as a busy executive. I want to know that I can trust my team and maybe even you individually as a project manager, that you are doing the exact same things I would be doing yeah. uh, to manage a successful outcome. So sometimes project managers come at their job from the role of administrative task management, and that's valuable. There's no doubt about it. But I think the project managers that do exceptionally well in their careers have something extra that, that drifts towards, I am accountable, I am the throat to choke. And it, again, doesn't mean you have to show all of your work and that you can create that success yourself. Yeah. But if an executive feels like you have got the ball and you are happy to be accountable for that outcome, that's just that extra credit that I think makes an executive sleep well at night, that that initiative is being managed appropriately.
0: Yeah, You weren't on our last episode because it was our last episode, but one of the things that we talked about in that last episode was competence, confidence, credibility. And, and that ultimately, you know, again, like you're saying, the executives, they, you're in those meetings because they think you can do your job, right? So that's a given. But if you continue to exude that confidence, then that will lend itself to that credibility. And that's, that's what they're looking for is like, yeah, okay, this guy's got it or this lady has it and they can get the job done. And they're just basically telling us, you know, where things are at and we've got the trust in them. So, you know, just real, real good, uh, real good thoughts about what the result of that meeting should be. Any final thoughts, Rob, that you would have about communicating with executives? Um, I would just say, I guess, that I have found the most
1: joy and pleasure in my career at helping people think differently about a topic. and. I think the toughest thing in the world is to take smart people and help them think about something in a different way. Mm -hmm. And that's a two-way street. They have to be receptive to thinking differently about something where they already may have a preconceived notion. But what a great way to be able to do that from a project management standpoint is if you realize the role that you have and the opportunity to have an executive believe in you believe in the initiative believe in your team it's another amazing part about being a project manager is you get to work around you know passionate hungry people that want to do great work well you are the mouthpiece and a lot of times you are the one communicating on behalf of the entire team so it's it's a burden that i think people should respect and take very seriously but man, it sure is fun when you can get an executive to smile and be proud of the work that the team has done and help solve a really challenging issue. So, um, I would be happy to continue to share my perspective with anybody that's interested uh, as they start to deal
0: with their own challenges. So, with that being said, how could people get in touch with you? What's the what's the best way to reach you?
1: Yeah, I think the best way is probably LinkedIn. I'm a voracious LinkedIn participant, so um, they can send me a connection request or. Uh, A
0: direct message and I'd be happy to engage with people. Perfect. And maybe you could share one of those haikus that you spoke of earlier also. Certainly. Rob, enjoyed the conversation today uh, as always, and we look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks a lot, Chris. You're
1: doing great stuff with this. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Rob.
0: Well, that was another great conversation on great practices. Really appreciate Rob Milstead being on here and talking about how uh, that function of a PMO when it comes to communication and project managers communicating with executives is so important and really quite an art to get that down. Uh, Some of the things I take away from this conversation, I liked his definition of an executive. You know, we always think, well, maybe it's just the C level and it's the you know, the CFO and the CIO and the CEO. But he has a little bit of a broader perspective. It's anybody that's not directly responsible for the execution of work uh, that's on that project. So could be other VPs, could be division heads, uh, could be just other people that are stakeholders in this project. If we view them at that executive level, then that really will make sure that that will get them the communication that they're needing. But what is the biggest challenge that some of these executives have? Well, I liked it that he brought out the fact that it's context switching. They're going from one 30-minute meeting on one topic to another one on another topic to another one on another topic. And it's hard to keep all of that straight in your head. So what can we do as project managers if we run a PMO? Net it out. Keep it short. Tell them the recommendation up front. I like the point that he said, we don't need to necessarily show our work. They trust you. Otherwise, you wouldn't be presenting at that level. Now, you do have to do the work. And the assumption is is that you have done the work. You just don't have to show it necessarily. Or you can put it in the obligatory appendix. What about that framework? I like that too. POAD, P-O-A-D, Purpose, Objective, Approach, Deliverable. Rob brought out the fact that you need to understand why are we having the meeting? That's the purpose. What's the objective? What are the specific topics to support that purpose? What's our approach going to be uh, in this particular meeting? How are we going to deliver this message or get what it is that we need to have out of this meeting? Is it going to be a status update? Is it going to be a post-it note exercise, uh, a decision session? And then finally, what is the deliverable that we want to get out of this being the results or the outcome? So if we think about that POAD framework and we come into that, that certainly will help make any meeting successful. And I love that idea that he had about um, having the title slides almost form a complete sentence. You know, if they've got four or five slides and if all the executive had the time to read was just the top, Titles on these slides, would they get the gist of what you're needing to get done or what your recommendation is or what the next step is? So it's a real good good practice to keep in mind. Great practice, dare I say, uh, to keep in mind when we're putting these presentations together. And what about that question about how much time should we spend on preparing for important meetings? And of course, that always comes back with the answer, well, it depends. You know, if it's a recurring meeting and it's a similar format and similar cadence every week, it may not be a lot of preparation. But if it's a big meeting, it's a kickoff meeting, it's an important issue discussion, we probably want to put in as a rule of thumb at least three to four times uh, as much time in the preparation of the meeting as we are actually going to be having the meeting. And do this weeks in advance work through it iteratively have everything done within 48 hours ahead of a big meeting like that and then distribute that information 24 hours ahead of time Uh, just really good uh, approach as far as getting the information that can be needed in order to uh, help executives make the right decisions and i got to be honest with you this is my personal experience many times i'm surprised You know, how little attention is given to the preparation of a meeting? You know, it may be a 30-minute or an hour meeting, and a couple of minutes are spent ahead of time in getting into that. Finally, always have a backup on hand if something goes wrong or not as expected. So whether that's uh, a plan B as far as your approach or your presentation, or uh, Perhaps you've got to print it out and you can hand it out just in case something doesn't go quite the way you had expected it to. So we'd like to thank Rob again for being on our show today and uh, sharing some of those great practices with us. Do you have a great practice that you'd like to share? Go to the PMOleader.com, click on content, click on great practices podcast and fill out the form at the bottom of the screen. Uh, Someone will get in touch with you shortly about being a guest on our show. Also, be sure not to miss an episode by subscribing to Great Practices on your favorite podcast platform. And uh, if you like what you hear, we've definitely had some great guests over these past months. Be sure to share this with your manager, your colleagues, anybody else that you think would be benefiting from implementing these Great Practices. So thanks again for listening to this episode and keep putting great practices into practice.